Well, we want to take time to read our scriptures this morning. Our Old Testament passage is from 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, selected verses. So you really can't uh, follow. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to read. I'm going to read 1 Kings 17, 1, 1 Kings 18, 1, and then uh, I'll skip down to 17 through 19, and then skip down to 36 through 40. This is about Elijah. You all remember Elijah, perhaps? He's the one who confronted King Ahab. Uh, this tells him, he said at time of great drought, it won't rain or dew till his word. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain. There was no, no, no dew there at all. Big, bad time. So listen here to God's word. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So, goes on three and a half years later. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now send then and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he calls them to come there. Verses 36 through 40. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Amen. Our first New Testament text is from Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 42. It's a long passage, but you'll recognize it right away. I think the... Uh, Apostles have been preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. They get arrested, and here's part of what happens. Listen here again to God's word. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. 
Don't worry, they don't. Gamaliel talks to him and says, you know, you can't resist him too much. And at the conclusion of that, he says this. Then they took his, Gamaliel's advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they, the apostles, went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Amen. Now we'll turn to Revelation, our main text for today. Revelation chapter 11. We'll begin at verse 15 and read through chapter 12, verse 17. It's a long passage. Uh, and we're going to preach through the whole thing today. We may be here till 3 o'clock. Who knows? You have no place to go. You're in quarantine. <laughs> but we'll, we'll read this and you'll, we'll, then we'll preach on it. Listen here to God's word. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken great, your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,000 260 days and there was war in heaven Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon the dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who, who deceives the entire world he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. 
And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Amen. Well, we'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Gracious God, we do ask for you to be with us today, though we're scattered around to gather us together before your throne, as it were, to hear your word, and Lord, minister to us. We're in a place of need. We always are, of course, but we know our need much more today than we have times in the past, perhaps. So minister to us, give us your grace and favor. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today, all the way from creation to the present day. The text we have from Revelation demands that we do so. Now, let me give some presuppositions that from which we're operating, because not all of you have uh, been here for all the, the sermons on Revelation as we're going through it. Two main uh, presuppositions. One, uh, Revelation was written in A.D. 65 or thereabouts. And uh, uh, again, that's a controversial thing, but it's an accepted thing. It's, it's one of the possibilities. We think, I think that that's accurate. The other thing is that in the text itself, especially in the first chapter, in the last chapter, it says the things of which it speaks, the majority of them, uh, are things which must soon take place and the time is near. That is, it's close to what's going to happen, uh, to, to where all this is going to be fulfilled. Uh, we can look on it as history, a large part of it, not all of it, but some of it, uh, but to the seven churches to whom the letter was addressed, the prophecy was addressed, and to the church living through it, it was prophecy. It helped them know what was coming. For all of us since then, it is God's word to us. It's instructive. It's life-giving. And it's applicable for all times. So, let's get on with it. Now, we need a flow chart. So I was told last week at home. I preached a good bit of this sermon last week at our little gathering in our house. And uh, I, I received some very constructive critiques saying, Dad... We can't follow you with this, so we need a flow chart. So here's the flow chart, and Michael's going to put it up on there. Uh, there's a creational goal we want to understand. Now, this is going to be a, a history of the world, as we're from beginning to the end. Uh, there was a creational goal. There was a fall and a promise. There was the call, and then there was the stall. There was the fulfillment, the lawsuit and the divorce. The reigning warfare, also known as the beat and beast, goes on. The only part missing here that we haven't dealt with, we will deal with ultimately in going through Revelation, is the finale. It all wraps up. But that's a good flow chart. If you want to know how to think about world history, how to think about the Bible, and how the flow goes, that flow chart gives you a good estimation of that. Now, the uh, place where we're at here in Chapter 11, 15, where we begin, it says the 11th trumpet is sounding. It's the seventh of seven, so it's the final one. And uh, we recognize what it says. All these music people are saying, oh, yes, that's the hallelujah chorus. We've sung that, right? We've, we've done this. 
at Christmas time, the hallelujah course is all over where it would be. Well, uh, Bach wrote that. Did Bach write the hallelujah course? Have I got the right guy? Handel, there we go. I knew I had it wrong. Uh, Handel wrote it, but he wrote it as a Easter cantata. Not a Christmas, but an Easter, a victorious one. And uh, we, we hear it here. In, he took it from Revelation 11, verse 15. And what he says is that the kingdom of Christ has come. The kingdom of the world is the kingdom of Christ. Now, remember when we were back in Revelation 10, verse 7, here's what it said. It said, In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he promised his servants, the prophets. So we can understand from this that when the seventh angel sounds, the mystery of God is finished. Uh, now notice, he does not say history is finished. Some people think that. But he says the mystery is finished. They mix up the little phonemes there. What begins with that word? It says the mystery of God is finished. Uh, and then it says that he has begun to run. What it, rain, what it says right here in Revelation 11, 15. Go ahead, 11, 17. We give thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Well, our, our question is, really, God has begun to reign? Uh, when, when, when has that happened? We see things going on all around us that suggest God doesn't reign. Really? Is that so? Well, we need to walk our way through that flow chart, and we'll see what is going on. Let's start with a creational goal. Uh, here's the first thing that God promised. God, this is in chapter 1 of Genesis, and this is the, the blueprint chapter. Chapter 2 is the working it out on the ground chapter. But here's his blueprint. He says to the human beings, to Adam and Eve, uh, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That is, mankind's designed to rule over the earth, to have dominion there, to, to fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, he hasn't gone back on that. Mankind has that delegated power. It remains his goal. Listen to these verses from Numbers and then from uh, Habakkuk. Uh, the Lord said, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. It's in Numbers. And then from Habakkuk, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, those are representative verses. Those same, that same idea is found numbers of places in the uh, Older Testament. In just a couple of weeks, we'll think a lot about Psalm 22, because that's the one that Jesus is in Jesus' heart and mind as he hangs on the cross, right? He says, Lama, Lama, Sabachthani, right, right? That's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that Psalm 22 begins that way, but do you know how Psalm 22 ends? Michael, pick that up there. It says, towards the end, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. So as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he certainly feels the wrath and forsakenness from God is there, but he has this goal, this vision. He knows what's going to happen. So we have uh, Hebrews 12, where it talks about, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of where? The throne of God. He knew that, that that's what was going 
was awaiting him to be at the right hand of the throne of God. That means right there ruling uh, in the midst of all this. So we need to understand that. That's the creational goal that God has not changed from the creational goal that, that should rule over the entire earth. But things didn't work out that way. We have the fall and the promise. And just one little verse will show us that. Uh, Genesis 3.15, the first gospel. God said to the serpent. Now the serpent will come up. We read about him in, in uh, Revelation 12. But God said to the serpent, I will put enmity, that is hatred, between you and the woman. We'll find out who the, well, there he's talking about Eve, but we'll see the woman appears again in, in Revelation 12. And between your seed and her seed, he, the woman's seed, shall bruise or crush your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So there's the fall, and there's the promise. A lot of dark, dark, ominous clouds in the, the, the fall, and God's cursing of the earth and all that. But there's a bright silver lining, which is right here in Genesis 3.15. Now, uh, we want to move to the call because they, they end up going from the east of Eden to the flood to the Tower of Babel. And humanity doesn't get it. Uh, and so God says, I'm going to choose out one family. And through that family, I'm going to bring to pass all of what I promised from the beginning. I'm going to bless the entire earth. So we have Abraham's call. Here's in uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and I will make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God's intention still is for all the, the families of the earth to be blessed, and to be blessed means to know him as he really is. That's what, He wants to accomplish that through Abraham. Now, uh, the next Step in that call is to his son Isaac. And in Genesis 26, 4, we read this. Then God appeared to Isaac and said, By your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Do you get the notion that God is intent on having all the nations experience the goodness, the glory, the greatness of God to know him? The next generation, Jacob, says this in Genesis 28. The Lord said to Jacob, who becomes Israel, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Same promise, same call to all three generations. And so to be a Jew, part of the chosen people, you have to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because Abraham had other descendants besides Isaac. Uh, Isaac had other descendants than Jacob. But Jacob had the 12 sons. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the chosen line where this is going to be. Now God gives them a call after he makes them a, 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 a nation in the midst of uh, Egypt. In Deuteronomy 4, 6, uh, here's what he says. So keep them, tells the whole nation this, keep them, the, that is the Lord's statutes, the, et cetera, and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So what are they supposed to do? What does God anticipate? That people will live, that is the, his chosen people, will live according to his law, will keep his statutes. And other people will see that and say, oh my, what a wise people. What a, I wish we could be like that. And they would adopt and come in and say, yes, we would have those same laws applied to us. 
Well, uh, that's the call. The anticipation is that the nations will be, will be made like Israel, not vice versa. So you go from the call to what I call the stall. <laughs> it's like in basketball, Ted, the stall. You're going to stall for a little while. Can't do that with the, with the 32nd clock anymore, but you see, you could stall. Well, here's what Israel does. Uh, the nation does not carry through what God has for them to do. They do not have the nations come to them and learn how to live. Instead, they begin to learn to live like the nations, just vice versa. It happens repeatedly, generation after generation, epoch after epoch, down through the Old Testament. The, the people of God are, somehow get seduced, and they begin to live like the nations. And so here's a good statement of that from 1 Samuel. You remember this, when they're calling for a king, and God didn't want them to have a king. Here's what they said. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations. Do you see? And they said that to all the prophets, because God sent prophets rising up early, sending, the people, sending them to the people saying, hey, don't do that. Be, be honor, honoring to God. Follow God. Now, there's a good verse that, that shows their attitude. It's in Ezekiel chapter 20. Here's what it says. We will be like the nations, like the tribes of the lands, serving wood and stone. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's not at all what God had intended. It's the stall. Now, we say, well, how could they possibly do that? There they have God's word. They have his, all this stuff. How could they do that? You know what it's called? Peer pressure. We want to be like the nations. We experience that, don't we? Hello, we do. I want to be like Joe Blow. We won't be who we're supposed to be. Now, the fulfillment. This is Revelation eleven fifteen. We just read it. I'll read it again. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The Lord Jesus kept it all. He did not fail. He did not fall. He kept it all, and he won the victory. He, the kingdom of the world, that is all the nations of the world is a kingdom that been under the reign of Satan that's going to fall and become now the kingdom of Christ. Jesus said the same thing. So uh, the fulfillment that between Easter and the ascension, what did he teach the disciples? Matthew 28, 18, we heard this. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, if he has all authority, what authority is not under him? Well, none. He reigns. He rules. He says, therefore, go to the nations. And you catch again that same vision that not just this little people, but the nations. And teach them to do as I have told you. Directed you. Uh, it's the gospel of the New Testament as exemplified by the Apostle Paul. Uh, here's what he says in Ephesians 1. We memorize this, so you should know this. These are the things which God brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. So he reigns. That's what Paul and all the rest of the apostles taught. Jesus is king. If you'd been here last week, around our kitchen tables where we were then, we're here, uh, we, re we read a passage from Acts 17, where the member of the people in Thessalonica, they say, <clears throat> the thing with these guys here, they say there's another king. Besides, there's another king who's named Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's what they call Jesus reigns. And so uh, that's right and that's good. Uh, here is the fulfillment. Here's what it means. It means that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He accomplishes the plan of God. That's the fulfillment. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the ruler. He accomplishes the plan and purpose of God. Now, we have to understand this properly. So again, we'll take a, a representative passage from Paul, this time from Ephesians 3. We've not memorized this. Here's what Paul says and teaches. It says, he, the Lord Jesus, is the one who brings the mystery to fulfillment. Hello, Revelation 10, 7, right? He is the one who brings the mystery to fulfillment. He joins Jew and Gentile. Now, here's what he actually says. You can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel, which is the mystery for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So God had intended to do this. The mystery is Christ. It's fulfilled. He's done it. And it's opened up the door to the nations, just like God intended from the very outset. Well, in the midst of that, there's a lawsuit. That's part of what goes on here. The lawsuit is against the nation of Israel. The lawsuit says it's brought by God. And the lawsuit says that they have rejected and disowned the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this is bad. This is wrong. You should never have done this. Now, let's, let's listen to the witnesses that we have here. John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Acts 2, 22 and 23. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel. Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men. He says someone had to do this. Someone's responsible. He says it's you. The next, that is the Jews. The next chapter, again, uh, Paul is preaching. I mean, Peter is preaching. And he notes this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hello, we just saw Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did we read about them? The promise that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned 
in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. That's quite a lawsuit, quite a list of witnesses. There's more outside the, 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 the Sanhedrin and Jerusalem and all that. Uh, when Paul's out preaching in uh, the city in Antioch, uh, it says this, but when the Jews saw the crowds, this is in Acts 13, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things said by Paul and were blaspheming. And the Jews instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. Said, we don't want to hear about Jesus. We don't want to hear about Jesus as the Messiah. We reject that. You cannot do that here. We say no to that. That's a witness. That's a lawsuit there. In uh, Lystra, hometown of Timothy, uh, worse happens. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 14. It says, but Jews came over from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So that's the reason for the lawsuit. They have rejected the one sent to them by God. The only one he'll send, the chosen one whom he sends, they say, no, we reject and we disown. We want nothing to do with him. So now, therefore, there's the lawsuit and divorce. I would suggest to you that Revelation is largely a prophecy of the fall and destruction of Jerusalem, of the temple, and of the Jewish nation as a nation. All of what it prophesies will be fulfilled in the years 66 through 70. And stays fulfilled. The temple's still not rebuilt. Jerusalem is there. Israel's a nation, but they still reject Christ. Well, one of the things that is asked, I was asked this last week, uh, it says all this about God being enthroned, Christ being enthroned, it says, and the nations were enraged. Well, why should the nations be enraged that Jesus is enthroned? that he's the Lord, that he's the king. Uh, in due time, the nations in Israel learned how to get along with one another. They let them, each kept their own sphere. So even the Romans who were insistent that everyone had to sacrifice to the Roman gods, they didn't mess with the Jews. They said, all right, you be, you be that way. And the Jews didn't mess with them. They just kept separate. And so they had learned to get along, how to live together. Uh, with the rain beginning, that's no longer possible because Jesus reigns over whom? Not just Israel, but all the nations of the world. And we and the church from the beginning have been commissioned by him to take and announce the reign of Christ to all the nations. The nations say, what? We're not okay? You, you let us live and we let you live before. Now you're saying we're not okay? You're going to try and come and convert us? You think there's something wrong with us? And the church says, yes. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. <laughs> Just like we were. You need this. So uh, I thought two weeks ago I gave a, a, the dialogue that was copied out of the, the uh, newsletter from uh, Kevin and Maria Noyes about a student of theirs. They're with... Uh, they serve with uh, disciple makers at Gettysburg College 
and they have a student group there that they're Christians. And the one girl who's part of that group was in a study group. They were just studying math or something like that. And as the students are talking, uh, they end up talking about faith and religion and stuff. And she shares her testimony. And she got a lot of pushback. And she describes one of the, one of the fellows who pushed back. Now, we're gonna, here, here's what she said. Uh, Philip, the fellow who was pushing back, is very smart and logical. He called me uneducated. Why? Because I believe there's an absolute truth that comes from God through his word. So he, she, that's what she believes. I hope you believe that too. There's an absolute truth from God that comes through his word that we should know that. She goes on to say, <clears throat> he, Philip, this other student, said I was pretty much unworthy to be a, a Gettysburg College student because Christianity is demonic. She put in parentheses, yes, he used that word, demonic. Why is Christianity demonic? Because <clears throat> if you tell people what they're doing is wrong or sinful, or that they need to be saved from themselves. Does that sound like the nations who are enraged? It does. She had a good answer, I thought. And it's, it's our answer as well. She says, I expressed that we never intend to give the bad news without the good news, right? But you got to have the bad news, otherwise the good news is not good news. <clears throat> Excuse me, she said, I expressed to him that we never intend to give the bad news without the good news, and that Christ died and was resurrected to save them and me. Now here she quotes Philip. Philip said in his own words that he needed to be lost first to be saved. I agreed with him. But he did not think he was lost. There's just a, that's just a perfect paradigm of what's happened down through the ages with people who resist God. We can do it on our own. We're okay. I'm over time. We're, we'll, we'll quit preach through chapter 12 and be done. <laughs> we will, trust me. Uh, what that girl experienced at Gettysburg College is what Jesus prophesied in John 5, 25. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Those who hear, those who receive. So the whole world lies in darkness. We were in darkness. We, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, Ephesians 2, 1. But even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up. By grace, you've been saved through faith, right? We learned that. Uh, and so we need to go and tell dead people that they're dead. That's what the church always does. Not in the way of condemning them or saying, boo on you, but you're dead, but you can be alive. There's a, there's a resource, there's an answer, there's, there's something that can be done. You don't have to stay dead in your sins and trespasses. Here's how Paul teaches that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. It says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Now, you understand that right there in that little clause, we have all of history from the resurrection till Christ comes again. Right there. Till those Christ when he comes, 
Then comes the end, that's the finale, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign. That is, he's reign. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And so that brings us to Revelation chapter 12, finally. What Paul showed was a picture. It's our last slide of, of the, the flow chart. It's a picture of reigning warfare. Also known as the beat and beast go on. You know, Ted and I are both Civil War buffs. We know that the Civil War was done July 4th, 1863. Gettysburg had fallen, Vicksburg had fallen, and it was all over. I mean, there's no question who's going to win. But there's a lot of war to be fought yet. Likewise, if Stan Friday were sitting back here where Dorothy is now, where he usually sits, Stan Friday was part of the D-Day invasion. When D-Day invasion occurred, was successful, World War II was over, with Germany anyway. But they still kept on fighting. There was still a lot of war, a lot of suffering, a lot of victories that had to be done, even though it was all over. That's what chapter 12 shows us. That though the victory's won, he reigns forever, still that old serpent, the beast, won't give up. Just like the South didn't give up, just like Germany didn't give up. Keeps on fighting. And we're experiencing that. So here's what we're going to quickly run through Revelation 12 by just giving you a, a cast list and a plot summary. Okay? Then we'll be done. It won't take more than 20 minutes. Well, maybe an hour. Here we go. Uh, first, the woman. Who is the woman? The woman is true Israel, true church, true people of God. You understand that all those terms are identical. They refer to the same group of people. Just like three and a half years is 42 months and is 1,260 days. Three terms used for the same reality. So the woman... Where you see her here, doesn't refer to the Virgin Mary. It refers to true Israel, true church, true people of God, all down through the history of the world. That's who the woman is. The church, in that sense, is our mother. It's a good thing to know that. Continuity is real. We're connected. We're part of a body. There's one body of Christ. We talk about that when we do communion. And the woman is always under threat. We see it here. We're not going to go into it all today, but we see it is always under threat. But she's always protected. She's never captured and done away with. She's always protected because God protects her. That's cast person number one. Next cast person is the male child. The male child is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the ruler with a rod of iron. Now, there's a very compressed history, just like we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, 25. So also here, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God to his throne. So in verse 5, you have all, of, all from, from, from the resurrection all the way till uh, uh, the end of time. Uh, very compressed history, but nowhere he was caught up to, to the throne. Now, that rod of iron 
Oh my, I wish we had more time, but we don't. The rod of iron, we recognize that from Psalm 2, which we memorized, right? Uh, he'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. He'll shatter them like earthenware. That rod of iron refers to God's word, God's truth that does not change. Our last hymn this morning will reflect that. Stars and her courses, etc. It does not change the rules that God has. And he holds that rod of iron out there, and those who come near it and rub against it, it shapes them. It shapes their lives by that rod of iron. It's sort of like this, this going up like this, it shapes who they are. Those who resist, who refuse to, to, to let that shape them, it will fall on them and break them like earthenware. They'll be held guilty, accountable, because they have not yielded to the law of God, which does not change. Uh, it will shape you or it will break you. All right, the third cast person we need to see is the great red dragon. That's the devil, the serpent of old, Satan. He deceived the whole world, but now he's been cast out of heaven. He's angry. He's upset. No longer can he deceive the whole world. Did you realize that? Ever since the days of the apostles, the world is becoming more and more and more Christian. What before had been total darkness is becoming light and light and lighter. We're still engaged in that. He's angry. He's upset. <coughs> the fourth cast member is this, the rest of her children. Who are they? They're believers down through the ages, from Genesis through Revelation. They're the believers down through the ages. They always have an enemy, the devil. Yet, they are overcomers. Revelation 12, 11 tells us exactly how they overcame. They're covered by the blood of the Lamb. No accusation can stand against them, even though the accusations are true. You know, I've been a liar. I've been a thief. I've been a deceiver. All those things are true. <clears throat> the devil can accuse me before God of that, except that Christ covered my sin. So I can say, away with you. So the three realities that mark the people of God, one is covered by the blood of the Lamb. Two, the word of their testimony. They keep to the testimony of Jesus, who Jesus really is. He is the Messiah. He is the ruler. He is the king. He's the Lord of all. He's the ruler now. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about how Jesus is our soon coming king. Well, no, he's our king all the time. He rules now. Okay? So you, you need to remember that. That's our, that's our word of testimony in light of all the things going around us. He rules. And the third thing that marks him is they do not love their life even when faced with death or even unto death. Uh, it does not matter what you threaten with. It doesn't matter what you say. We cannot and we will not change our hearts and minds. Now we have two classic examples of that from Old Testament, one from the New Testament that we read for our text today. Elijah. Uh, he said, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, 
He knew that God reigned and ruled. He said, I stand before him. I can't do otherwise. He specifically mentioned the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He called the people to confess their sin, to believe in him and follow him. And even though he was threatened, he remained true. Then we have the disciples in the New Testament, Acts 5 that we read about. They were threatened, they were flogged, and what did they do? They rejoiced. They gave thanks to God that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for his sake. And we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that. We do ideally, but when it comes down to reality, well, I don't know about that. <clears throat> but they did. They, and they kept right on preaching and teaching Jesus. That is the testimony of Jesus. Now, the title of the sermon this morning is Reigning Warfare. Because Christ reigns, the devil is a defeated foe, but he's still fighting. And so while all this reigning is going on, warfare exists. We are the soldiers in the midst of that battle. We need to be faithful, true, honoring, trusting of the captain of our army, the captain of our salvation, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.